everybody, and welcome to the Artifacture YouTube channel and podcast. Here we talk about 3D printing and its new influence on art, architecture, and design. I am your host, Andrew Oshika, and I'm very, very excited to introduce to you uh, Alexis Walsh and Justin Hattendorf um, of Jaw Studio. Jaw Studio is a New York-based uh, fashion and jewelry brand that leverages uh, 3D printing in their amazing work. Hello, Justin and Alexis. How are you? Hi, we're Hi. great. Thank you so much for having us on today. We're really excited awesome. to talk to you. I'm super stoked to have you guys um, join me for today's session. So before we kind of get into the, the questions and the conversation, I'd love if both of you guys could just quickly introduce yourselves. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Yep. So my name is Alexis Walsh, and I've, I'm a fashion designer and artist. I've been working with 3D printing for my fashion work since 2012. So I've been doing it for quite a while. And um, Justin and I have been working together collaboratively since 2017, making our fashion and jewelry work. Awesome. Awesome. And and hey, my name is Justin. I'm the I, my background's in architecture. Um, I've I've done quite a bit of architecture, industrial design, um, and now a, a bit of software as well. Um, and yeah, the, we've been doing Jaw Studio for quite a few years, um, putting all that beautiful, together. awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. Okay, so obviously we're here today to talk about you know you guys as creatives, as designers, but then also. Um, 3D printing and that kind of intersection, that nexus point, right? And so that's kind of, again, why we're here. And so I do have a bunch of questions to get into. And so the first one is, um, what initially interested you in 3D printing? And what was the very first thing that you printed? Any, Justin or Alexis, whoever wants cool. to go first. I can go first. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I first uh, tried out 3D printing in 2011 um, at Pratt. I studied when I was studying architecture and I was using it to create architectural models. And to be honest, I was a skeptic for a really long time. Uh, I always liked making, um, I was really into model making, uh, really to test out different ideas um, and uh, wood, woodworking. I was doing a little bit of like fabrication with CNC and laser cutting and thermoforming, things like that. Um, and it took me a really long time to understand like the constraints of a 3D printer to really make what I wanted to make. It was hard for me to like translate the ideas I had about what I was making into 3D thing. But um, about 10-ish years later, um, I use it all the time. It's like my primary tool. Um, and it, what really I had to learn along the way was it's, it's another tool in the toolbox. So you have to design with it, design for it. Um, and not all projects are great for it. Um, but the projects that we do together are kind of small scale. We're testing out different forms that are like uh, relatively small, like products, uh, wearable products. Um, and it's been really amazing because it's um, kind of like decentralized our work. We don't have to like set off something to fabrication at like a factory or test out a prototype in, a, in that yeah. kind of way. We have it right at our fingertips. Yeah. So um, it gives us really quite a lot of like creativity, like autonomy uh, in the process and creativity along the way. And we're able to be really agile and design. And that's exactly right. I mean, just the, the, the immediacy of it, right? I mean, you come up with an idea and uh, instead of struggling with like, is this going to work? Or maybe I should pivot and do something else. You could say, all right, let's quickly just print it out and get a feel for it. And then, you know, and then that yep. point. Totally. Prototype in an hour. Oh, sorry, what was that? <laughs> yeah. 
You can have yeah, a prototype exactly. in an hour. Um, you know, I was just kind of thinking back to, you know, in the days of old when I was at RISD in grad school and, um, you know, uh, you know, working on things and trying to, you know, validate concepts you would spend forever sketching. And then once you kind of felt like you had a, something that was viable or interesting to pursue, then you would shift over, you know, you'd go from 2D to 3D and that melt like that meant like clay modeling or wrench shape or strux foam right and you'd create these orthographic drawings and then you'd glue you know the front or the top or whatever it was and then and then slowly mm-hmm. arduously you would carve out you would you know that you would free that 3D form and then after all that work you're like ah screw it it's not what i want to do and then you know you go back <laughs> 3D printing is amazing because, like, it's it's instant, and, uh, and you know, and so mm-hmm. it hyper accelerates. I think that like that part of the design process, that exploratory process. So, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, learn by making instead of learning by waiting and finding exactly, out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Alexis, did you want to add to that? Yeah. Um. So I would say what initially got me interested in 3D printing. Um, was in my studies at Parsons. So I went to Parsons and I studied a combination of both fashion design and industrial product design. Um, And my background is really in more of like fine art and sculpture, which I would then put into my fashion work. So when I was introduced to the idea of rapid prototyping through 3D printing and 3D modeling, it became such an innate need that I just wanted to learn how to do this and I really wanted to incorporate it into my practice. Um, So in 2013, my first ever 3D printed fashion piece was a piece called Spire Dress that was fully 3D printed. Um, It was a collaboration with my good friend, Ross Leonardi, and that piece actually went viral. So that was a very fun (laughs) surprise. That's awesome. (laughs) Now, in in that program that you were in, was was 3D printing as a methodology to manifest, was that like part and parcel or was it like, hey, here's this new magic box that does stuff, you know, you could figure it out or you don't have to like, what was, what was that dynamic? Cause you know, that, you know, that was a number of years ago and I'm just still kind of relatively early days. Right. So just curious. Yeah. So it was definitely, it was definitely pretty early. I want to say in 2011, when I was a student, um, Parsons had maybe three 3d printers. It was a very tiny lab. And it was really only the industrial design and architecture students that were using it. Um, So in my classes, we were never actually directly taught to use 3D printing. It was more of like a tool that was available if we wanted to go through the processes of learning how to do it. Um, So I taught myself how to do 3D modeling by watching YouTube tutorials. I love that. (laughs) I learned how to do software in Python and Rhino through hours and hours of tutorials. Yeah, um, like the programming part of it, I haven't really delved into. But like Rhino, yeah, you're right. I taught myself Rhino. Um, yeah, I bought like a really fat like ju- like Rhino for jewelry or whatever um, ages ago, right? And mm-hmm. so between that and then a bunch of YouTube videos, um, yeah, I taught myself. And these days, I mean, you can almost self teach you you know yourself anything, right? I mean, it's. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. so many resources available. Exactly. It's amazing. It totally is amazing. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Oh, and 
Actually, I yeah. just want to add too, uh, now at Parsons, they are currently teaching classes to do 3D printing for fashion design, which I think is amazing okay. and so cool. That is super cool. That's awesome. I, I would assume... Well, you know, I mean, I don't have a perspective because, you know, I mean, I was at RISD forever ago and, um, you know, it was still, it was unheard of basically, um, you know, to use a 3D printing methodology in any kind of student work, right? Um, I actually, I don't, I don't even know how I did it or how I discovered it. It might have been through a contact, but um, I actually leveraged 3D printing um, back then, and this is going a long, long time back. I don't even want to you know, say how long ago, but it was, it was ages ago when I was a grad student at RISD. And just, just a quick aside, because you know, since we're talking about this, um, I, I was working on a project for a talking book or like an audio book player, and it was sponsored by uh, the National Library Service. I think that was it. And they had a competition to redesign this audiobook player for um, visually impaired and physically handicapped users, right? You know, you go into the library, you get this audiobook from the shelf, and you use this device to play it. And again, it's for people that are, um, you know, maybe blind, visually impaired, and then also handicapped. So this thing had to be universally designed, it had to uh, be accessible to that population. And just really quick, so I. It came up with the design and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do this in, I'm not going to do the final form in the conventional media, right? Like clay or whatever. And I actually got it um, binder jetted by a company called Z Corp. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that rings a bell to any of you guys. Oh, I used yeah. That was, the, that was my <laughs> that first 3D. The first right? I used Z Corp. Z Corp. And dude, this is like going like early 2000s, right? This is forever ago, right? And, uh, and I got it printed in full color, right? It was this 3D print that was in full oh. color and it was stunning. And I, I printed two and it was like mad expensive. Um, I, I printed two because one I had to send away to submit, you know, as part of the competition. And the other one I kept in my studio and I kept it on my desk and everybody just, they'd walk by and they're like, dude, did you make that? Or what is that? Like it was the conversation <laughs> piece uh, in the studio. But anyway, um, but yeah, like it wasn't sanctioned. It was still like a black art, right? Like, oh, you, that's 3D printing. So anyway, um, but cool. That's great to hear. Um, thank you for those answers. All right. So moving on, um, what value do you think 3D printing brings to your process and to the final outcomes of your work? I know it's kind of a mouthful, but but <laughs> that's the question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say uh, right off the bat, I think one of the most um, interesting values that 3D printing brings is the sustainability aspect. So um, not only are a lot of the materials both recyclable and biodegradable, um, but certain 3D printing processes like SLS selective laser sintering can be completely zero waste. Exactly. So that's pretty revolutionary. It's, it's actually amazing. I agree. I agree um, totally. You're right with the SLS because it's it's like a powder bed fusion. It's all the unused powder. They just scoop it back up and you could reuse it. It's like a 97% reuse rate or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's, uh, it's an excellent point. Um, you know, that and all the other hosts, you know, the host of other reasons, like for me, just make 3D printing so incredibly 
you know, exciting, right? I mean, it could revol it's going to revol revolutionize everything, how designers work and how maybe even we consume, right? I mean, we can maybe print stuff at home and then if we get bored, maybe there's a way to decompose that thing and then reuse. I don't know. It's like getting kind of out there, but it's really starting to open up a lot of different doors and possibilities. And it's just absolutely um, amazing and exciting. I don't know, Justin, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, yeah. I think like also, I mean, in addition to the sustainability and the, the materials, um, I, I think what's really cool about 3D printing is you're able to create shapes and forms that you're unable to in other ways. So like you think about like high texture or, or um, uh, like latticing or any sort of like complex shapes, um, they're like it's much more integrated into like digital modeling. So it, you're able to experiment much in much more extreme shapes than you are with say like uh, injection molding or, or like more conventional, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, it's been really important for our experimentation and the products that we make. That and being yeah. able to just iterate things quickly and like rapidly prototype ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, and also piggybacking off of that, I think another really useful value is that um, you are able to make things made to order, so that you don't necessarily need to have like a stock yeah. of materials or have a new material that's wasted. You can really just print things exactly. on demand. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it also starts to speak to like, well, you could start manufacturing or producing locally, right? And so then you could start, you know, improving your local economy by hiring again locally. Uh, you reduce the waste needed for transportation, right? That's a huge thing. Warehousing, storage, all the energy associated with that, you know, of course, packaging and all that stuff. So again, it's... I mean, it's a game changer. It really, it's really, really exciting. And that's why, you know, me personally as a designer, I, you know, kind of intuitively, it, it resonates with me because it just feels so good. And, and it's like the natural progression of the way things should be. And so that's why I'm kind of invested in, or, and really interested in it as a designer. Um, all right. So let's keep moving along here. Um, so what 3D printing methodologies are you, are you guys currently using in your work, like, like your work work or at JAWS Studio? Yeah. Um, so with JAWS Studio, we primarily use, uh, like, uh, we use a Prusa MK4, uh, primarily just PLA, natural PLA. It's, it's kind of funny because it's like the default material that you get with your Prusa. Um, but, it's so beautiful. But it's, but it's really beautiful. We, <laughs> it's we've really been, beautiful. We really like the, um, like the different lighting effects and different like layers of transparency you're yeah, able to achieve with that. Yeah, translucency. That's so, super cool. Um, so yeah, we, we've experimented with like textures, infill, density, all, all of that, just like with that, this one material that is probably the first material most people yeah. try out. Um, and I think I'm still so attached to it. You can take <laughs> it really, really far. Still something. There's something. Is it is it um, is it semi-transparent or is it pearlescent or is it like because I've never I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say it, it's semi-transparent depending on the amount and the direction of the infill that you oh, use, yeah. and then the um, the effect is pearlescent, so it's really beautiful oh, wow. in sunlight. Um, it, it almost yeah, it looks like has like a pearly like a bubbly okay. effect. It's really gorgeous. So we use it. For yeah. Like and I could see how pieces. it's a natural complement to, you know, the work that you're doing, whether it's fashion or jewelry or anything like that. That, that sounds awesome. You know, I, mm -hmm. I have like a weird, I don't know. I mean, 
with FDM, it's an FDM process, right? You mentioned the Proust. Um, <laughs> I, I had early day experimentation with an Ender, whatever it was. And I, it just wasn't giving me the output, the resolution that I wanted or expected. And so um, I kind of gave up. And this is like going back a, a little bit. And I told myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to jump from printer to printer and, you know, and then expect some, you know, amazing leap of quality or whatever. And so I kind of, I kind of just let that part of it go, like, you know, experimenting with, with particularly FDM. And I just kind of switched to um, getting my prints outsourced and using SLS and multi-gen fusion and all that. And I know that's kind of, it's more of like an industrial process. It's not necessarily something that you, you know, you're doing at home and you're, you know, downstairs or in your garage or whatever, because it's pretty messy and big and dust and powder. Mm -hmm. But, um, but now I think um, I'm ready to revisit, you know, you know, the FDM printers, because obviously they've gotten better and the resolution has gotten amazing. The, the overall quality yeah. of the printing has gotten better. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, for whatever it's worth, I definitely want to kind of reinvest and relook or relook into, you know, FDM printing. And then, you know, Bamboo Labs. I don't know if you guys, do you guys have experience with Bamboo Labs at all? No, oh, but I'm familiar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apparently they're, you know, they're real, I don't know, maybe eight, 10 months ago, they came out with, um, with uh with an fdm printer and it's supposed to supposedly it's it's mm -hmm. a prusa killer and the rest of it oh really beautiful enclosure like really nice inertial design and um anyway i've been kind of watching from afar a little bit i'm like hmm, maybe i should finally you know you know bite the bullet and, and, and invest in that but anyway um i, I yeah when when, when <laughs> When I mentioned that it took a long time for me to get into 3D printing, it's FDM was the yeah the thing those that early made it so 3D difficult. printers were those yeah. were rough yeah I, it, we, with like really a rough. like a rep wrap that we built uh, at our school and it was like it would work about 30 percent right. of the time and it if you got it to work it was great but I, yeah it was, it was the wild wild west but, yeah. of printing back then wasn't it definitely but it's, it's yeah. come a long way like now now we kind of know what to expect like yeah mm -hmm. you could definitely see the layers more than you can in other types of uh like yeah. 3d printing um but we use that to our advantage to give it a little more like texture uh, to you know, the chips yeah. that we're making yeah. and so. we do also um for some of our other materials like yeah. we use quite a bit of um 3d printed resin and like 3d printed stainless steel and for those we will outsource them yeah you know yeah, so my next question was going to be about materials, and we're we're talking about materials now. But um, quickly going to uh, Jaw Studio and some of the work that I saw there, um, there's metal there, right? And so, are you guys? So, okay, so I think you just answered the question. So, for metal, you're mm -hmm. outsourcing that to Shapeways, right? But like, yeah, okay, selective laser melting or or whatever or whatever. Yeah, yeah I think it's SLM or. or yeah, I think that's for, yeah. for for the metal process, right? For the steel, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think the steel is SLM, and then we do also use them for um, some of our three uh, D printed nylon products, which mm -hmm. are using the SLS. Oh, SLS okay, okay, okay. All right. Mm -hmm. You don't have like um, what is it like an electron beam melting device in your 
closet, right? <laughs> to you. In our closet? No, I would. <laughs> I would. I would. I would. <laughs> yeah, metal, metallic prints. Yeah. Yeah, that's. That's yeah. on the Christmas list. <laughs> our, our neighbors, our neighbors yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Um, yeah. Any other? Okay, so any other comments on materials? Um, so you talked about you know PLA being a favorite, and then and then there's um, is there like there's a, a recycled version of PLA that you could use? Is that what? You mentioned or? Yeah. Um, yeah. So some brands uh, allow you to, um, you can either purchase recycled material or you can send them your like old prints or like any excess filament and then they will then recycle it for you. Um, and the PLA that we use is biodegradable. Oh, it is biodegradable. Cool. Okay. Okay. Now, um, are those specialty brands or is that something that like Prusa also offers or is it a little more niche? As far as so, I would say I I think PLA in general is usually biodegradable oh, is. Um, yeah. because I, I think the material in itself is like is made from um, plant starch and like plant okay. sugars, uh, but I think the recyclable ones are something that you need to mm-hmm. seek out okay. specifically. So um, that being said, um, you know you're doing fashion, you're do- doing jewelry. Obviously, these things are applied, they live on the body. Is there any concern about like, you know, I'm gonna wear this thing for a while, there might be some weird effect with prolonged skin contact Mm -hmm. and use and sweat and all that. Like, has that come up or is that a concern or PLA is pretty safe, it's non-toxic? Like, just curious about that, because that's a consideration, right, as a designer and picking materials. So yeah, talk, Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And um, to counteract that, uh, we finish all of our pieces and we seal them in like a protective material so that there is not any direct 3D printed on skin contact. There's like a barrier between your skin and the 3D printed piece. Um, I am pretty sure that there are some types of PLA that are even food safe. So it's not that it's toxic. Um, but I would be more concerned about the oils from from your skin eventually discoloring the 3D uh, material through repeated okay, touching and okay. use. Yeah, we've we've also um, like in uh, Apex our first project together. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically we have the 3D printed part um, attached to um, a base cloth, like, of like a base cloth, yeah, base cloth denim, um, and then we actually threaded it with with screws. So basically, like the 3D print is never in contact with your skin. Uh, we kind of like integrated like m- like metal with the with the 3D print with the fabric, so that it's all kind of like one continuous uh, piece. So we we were kind of like we were kind of thinking about about that the entire time. Like, how do we keep right keep something that you're wearing mm-hmm. long term? How do you keep it from eventually degrading yeah. over time mm-hmm. or getting damaged by repeated use? Mm-hmm. So we found that using it as like a hardware application yeah. was actually uh, interesting. Solution. Interesting. Going back to that that veneer that layer that you add. Um, to kind of protect the printed piece from oils and stuff. Is that something that you add or is that added like a post-processing kind of a step, like after you print or what, what does that look like? How does that work? That's something that we do in our little... Oh, we do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. yep. And then we also, um, I'm very big on 
handcraft and hand finishing. So even though something is being 3D printed, we very meticulously sand all of it and make sure that it's completely perfect before okay. it comes in contact okay. with them. <laughs> you know, oh, that's awesome. Um, I was just wondering, do you guys have any, any experience with like ceramics or like 3D printed wood or, you know, there's other kind of pseudo exotic, not that ceramics is an exotic material, but like, you know, do, I'm just curious, do you guys have any experience like with those types of materials being in this, you know, being in a 3D printed kind of formulation? Do you guys have any experience with that? Just curious. Oh man, not yet, I, but it's something we've been talking about. Yeah, I've, I've experimented, experimented a little bit with the wood. Uh, it's like a plastic and wood oh, mixture. Okay. Um, that So so basically, I, I, I don't know exactly how it's manufactured. I think it's like sawdust yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. integrated with plastic. So you can sand okay. it and stain it. And it behaves like um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a little plasticky, plastic. but it, 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 it's pretty good. Hopefully the plastic yeah. is recyclable and... Yeah. Yeah. I'm dying to get into ceramics, and I'm also really interested in 3D printed wax. So that's something we yeah. haven't tried yet, but that's 3D, on the 3D list printed sure. wax. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just gonna take a shot, like for really cool looking candles, or like what would you use wax? <laughs> like like investment casting. Yeah, you use that to create jewelry. Yeah. But like, are there any other applications or? Yeah, so definitely for some really crazy, yeah. amazing candles. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, also to make, yeah, for model making, um, for maybe some of our other oh, okay. designs. Or All right. cool. Yeah, We're, I mean, we've also talked about um, um, casting, uh, casting wax. So uh, it, the other interesting thing is sometimes you're not always making the final design and 3D printing that. Sometimes you're making like a jig or a, a, like a like a form to cast into. So, so something like yeah. wax is really interesting because you can make, you can make a form and cast into that and you could make pretty sick candles. Pretty yeah. Quickly, pretty so. crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, digitally. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> but in that application, um, I don't know, is FDM like a good methodology to use for like casting jewelry? Cause I know the resolution is, you know, they use SLA for that, right? Like, create super yeah. high res surface finished you know mold so then you know when you when you pull that thing out and you've got your ring or whatever it's it's completely uniform but has fdm got to that yeah. point where you could actually use it for creating molds for jewelry or not yet what do you guys think oh no i i, I think i mean I, I feel like it depends on like a case-by-case -case yeah. basis if if we were making fine jewelry, I would probably not use FDM. I yeah. think I would use something more okay. like SLA. Um, but I think for something like like a candle or like wax, mm -hmm. um, I personally think that the like linear kind of stepped texture mm -hmm. on an FDM print is kind of beautiful and it's really oh, interesting it's okay. looking. Okay. So I wouldn't see that as a negative. I think it would just be an interesting yeah. feature of the end result. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that if you if you know what you're like the kind of constraints and effects that are going to come out of it like if you know it's going to be a layered you can work yeah. with it and it can become part of your design yeah. part of the effect but um but if you yeah if you're talking fine fine jewelry cast in like silver <laughs> maybe not i wouldn't no. recommend it yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 okay all right but it sounds like fdm is is we'll get there eventually right i probably yeah yeah, yeah. i think yeah. so yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean we're fdm you're what you're what <laughs> FDM there you go. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to be a believer soon too, based on what I've been seeing. Yeah. Um, 
All right. So the next thing is um, just kind of a question about um, tools, right? So 2D, 3D CAD design programs. Um, you know, we did talk a little bit about, you know, you guys using uh, the Prusa FDM. Like you guys use scanners or I don't know, anything else, any other peripheral, you know, you know any kind of peripheral equipment in your work at JAW or anything like that. If you wanted to talk a little bit about that, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, most of our tools are just software tools. Uh, and like uh, we've used Rhino and Grasshopper quite a lot. Uh, we've experimented with NTOP. Um, in the past, we've come up, or we've experimented with like Houdini processing, Py Python, Maya, Cinema 40. We like to mix yeah. and match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think like we're, we're really looking for like each kind of like unique characteristic that each one of those softwares bring to, brings to the table to, and take the best from each piece of software and gonna try to experiment with whatever crazy stuff we can make from that basically. So I, yeah, the, the surprise I think of connecting those tools is what makes it really interesting yeah. for us. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, uh, 3D software. I mean, I've, I mean, at this point I'm using Rhino almost exclusively. I did try Fusion 360 you know, it's a solid modeler versus mm -hmm. like this NURBS, you know, surface modeling thing. But I don't know. I just kind of latched on to Rhino and um, and um, it's just been good to me. And admittedly, the stuff that I'm designing, it's fairly simple. It's not hyper organic or multifaceted or whatever. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting out. And so for the kind of aesthetic approach that I want in my products, it's fine. Like I'm not too self-conscious mm -hmm. about it. But um um, sorry about that. There's some traffic happening in front there. Um, so you mentioned like Maya and then Ntop. Are those? I mean, are is that too almost overkill, or or is there value in using like those really? Because I know like Ntop, like I think that's mm -hmm. the company that you work at, right? I mean, they're computate like generative design, like more hardcore additive manufacturing, industrial applications, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean mm -hmm. so, but, but there's value in using like those really powerful tools and, and more like craft and fashion. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It, it, we actually, we, we use NTOP totally. quite a lot. I think yeah. um, whenever we do, so we have this one um, repeating form that we use a lot, mm -hmm. which is this like mass of um, like interlocking bubble shapes. Mm -hmm. And it's such a complicated batch of geometry that really i feel like the only way that it can be made is through a program wow, like okay and yeah yeah i think yeah like we're, we're definitely not like running simulations or doing any hardcore engineering yeah. or anything like that but I think some of the kind of like complexity that you can get out of those tools is really interesting and and like you could definitely achieve it in rhino um just but it would probably take a, much longer take, take a lot okay. longer even like, with rhino yeah. or i'm sorry with the grasshopper the parametric yeah with grasshopper yeah, with Grasshopper, you definitely can. Like, actually, I, th I think I think all of our pieces that we've actually physically made have come from Grasshopper okay. right now at this mm -hmm. point. Um, yeah, a lot of, like, the experimentation we do in other softwares is more like looking oh, for ideas, looking for how to make, mix and match different geometries mm -hmm. and whatnot. And then, like, one, then we kind of, like, go back to the drawing board and build it out in Rhino Grasshopper. So it's, like, our own, yeah. um, our own, uh, like, like, specific, specific process. tool set. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And then I also want to say, um, I use Maya less now, but 
when I was a Parsons student and I was first learning 3D modeling, I actually found Maya incredibly intuitive because the way that the software works, it feels more like physically sculpting an object and less like math and like function based. So for me coming into it from like a fashion designer art background, I found that much easier to initially jump into. That's probably why I like ZBrush then. That's probably why I like ZBrush too. And Blender, (laughs) Blender Blender, is Blender a same flavor as far as a tool along those lines, like being more sculptural versus like analytic mm-hmm. or, or yeah blender's come a long way yeah yeah but you could do quite a lot with blender that you could do um, i mean not even five years ago you had to use a different tool uh, to achieve it but like blender has pretty much all the main things that you'd get from maya okay. at this point okay um, yeah it's interesting because i always had this preconceived idea of like like maya blender and whatever else like being more like character design like for oh yeah and, you know, for special effects and sci-fi and all that. And so mm-hmm. I kind of went, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's a dichotomy that you could draw, but like, you know, one's movie production character design and the other one's like more engineering, right? Like whether it's pro-E, mm-hmm. architectural, um, you know, Cobalt was one and then Vellum. I don't know. These are like ancient, you know, maybe 2D drafting. Um, but anyway, um God, where was I going with this pro E? I remember, I think we were at RISD. Um, God, what was it? it was pro E? Um, I think it was, I think that's what the ID students were using. And that's like a hard core mm-hmm. oh, yeah. mechanical engineering. Yeah. yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. so on that note, like if somebody, let's say somebody's, you know, discovered 3D printing and they just, they're really into it. And they want to get started. And yet buying a 3D printer is easy. But if you want to create your own mm-hmm. work and really get into that part, like what would you recommend? Like, oh, I need to, you know, I, you know, I need to learn a software. Is, is it Maya? Is it Blender? Is yeah. it, you know, I know I actually did. I did SketchUp and then I went to Fusion 360 and then I went to Rhino. So it was kind of like this weird path. But there's a whole host of tools what would you guys recommend like somebody to just kind of get started and, and be able to get up and running quickly? Yeah, for sure. I, Ooh. I've I heard think... good things about SketchUp. I personally have not really tried using it, um, but I I feel like I've heard that SketchUp is a good yeah. initial first step into yeah. modeling. I, I'll always have a soft spot for Rhino and it's like, they're it's very good, like well-priced for students, like really easy to get your hands on Rhino. Um, but I, I don't know. I, one thing that Rhino, it, it's a little tough to do in Rhino is make things solid. And when you're working in a 3D printer, getting that watertight geometry is super important. Yeah, so that's capable yeah. of so, printed. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, man, I've run into some like rough times with Rhino trying to get oh it to work. God. But um, if you know what you're doing, it's great. It does take a long time to learn. Um, but I, I think like I was really impressed with Fusion 360 the past few years. Um, like when you're really getting in, if you're if you're familiar with drafting at all. Um, it's yeah. pretty easy to get in and start making 3D shapes. Like I, it's, yeah, it, I've been pretty impressed with that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Fusion 360 is a great option. Um, but yeah, Rhino is a pain when it comes to creating like those enclosed, you know, solid poly surfaces, right? Because then if you have like a naked edge or a manifold surface or whatever the hell else could go wrong, you are in like a Pandora's box of trying to figure out like what surface Mm -hmm. is being naughty. Right. And then you have to, 
you know, blow it up. And then, oh my God, I'm actually in the middle of that nightmare right now where I'm doing a new thing for, you know, the Artifacture um, collection. And I've designed a, a, a typeface based on Cooper Black. I don't know if you're familiar with that typeface. Mm-hmm. It's like this really kind of vernacular, super popular typeface that you've seen everywhere. Um, and so I wanted to kind of take it and put my own spin on it and then offer it as a 3D printed um, collection of letter forms. Like there's the alpha, you know, I got the whole alphabet and then, you know, numbers zero through nine and some punctuation. And the idea is that you could print out, you know, your kid's name or a cool phrase, love or whatever. That's the idea. Yeah. And so I designed the typeface or I redesigned the typeface in um, affinity designer. I moved away from like Adobe. I don't, I don't prescribe Mm -hmm. to that model anymore. So yeah. And then, um, and then I imported the SVGs into Rhino and then I'm, I've kind of extruded them into 3d forms and then, you know, you're, you know, adding fillets to the edges and all that stuff. But then, you know, and then you're shelling and then, but through that process, as you were saying, Justin, like to get that to be an airtight, enclosed poly surface solid, anything could go wrong. And so I've been, it's been weeks <laughs> trying to fix all that stuff. So anyway, that's, that's where it could get kind of naughty and messy with Rhino. So anyway. Oh Yeah. Many hours. I'm very yeah. familiar with yeah. that. Yeah. 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 No, so we can feel each other's pain. So that's cool. <laughs> um, all right. So let's let's kind of move on here a little bit quickly. Um, so in general, what new 3D printing technologies or materials are you kind of interested or excited about? You know, something that's maybe coming up down the pike that you're like, hmm. That's cool. Maybe we could use that in our work. Anything like that that's kind of piqued your interest? or um, I'm super interested in exploring more flexible 3D printed materials. Um, I think it would be amazing to kind of get into that for um, working on more directly wearable pieces that would kind of function more like the way that traditional fabric would drape yeah. and fall in a body. So I think that's probably on the horizon for us, maybe like next new project. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Because it seems like the majority of applications of 3D printing when it comes to fashion, it's more of like an accent. It's like a focal point. It's this superficial, not superficial in a negative term, but it's 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 more of a decorative thing that sits on top. Like an additional piece on top of something. It's not like integral to to the foundational structure of the garment or whatever. Uh, but that would be a cool opportunity to, you know, print something that you could just slip over and wear and 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 say it was three D printed. So, like chainmail or something, maybe I don't know, something like that. Yeah, definitely. Crude, a crude <laughs> example or metaphor, but yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm- I don't know, Justin. Do you want to add to that, or do you have anything? Sure. Yeah, I, I'm. I have kind of a different perspective. Okay. Actually, uh, I'm. I'm. Re- I'm really interested in uh, industrial 3D printing. I know I've talked a lot about FDM and desktop printers, but uh, industrial printing is the scale is increasing pretty dramatically. Uh, there are many more factories than there were at local factories, like within tons yeah. of major cities. Um, which means, like, uh, for people working with those manufacturers, it's much more accessible than it ever has been, and they're really 
is like a smaller and smaller gap between you know, the hobbyist 3D printers and you know, like professional, like industrial parts. Uh, like, so I think it's, it's super cool to me that um, you can kind of download Blender for free, uh, hook it up to an open source 3D printer, like learn this like way of working and way of thinking. And suddenly it's actually very real at a huge scale where we can make like tons of like, like actually high complexity, um, like high performing parts kind of all within the same yeah. way of thinking. So basically it jumps from like hobbyist to like professional like exactly. very quickly. Exactly. Um, so, which I think is super cool. Super cool. You know, I mean, the implications and the repercussions of this tech, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm one cannot help but be hopeful as far as like, you know, because we've talked about obviously, well, not we, but like, you know, oh, we've shipped jobs overseas. Manuf there's no manufacturing base left in the States and all that good stuff. But it feels like it looks like this stuff could like, you know, make it bring it back, make it more local and and. Mm -hmm. And it could be a net net positive for for all parties, for all stakeholders, right? People could get jobs and people are employed and they're now they're, you know, working in places where we're making things. And then guess what? You know, we're not burning coal. We're just burning electricity to fuel these things or whatever. I mean, you could go on and on and on. But like overall, it, it sounds not utopian, but it sounds positive, right? I mean, as far as like, oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. yeah. So again, I'm I'm hopeful, and and again, that's why I'm I'm kind of, you know, attached to this technology because because I think, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of positivity, and a lot of great benefits. So, um, okay, so sure. let's keep moving in the interest of time. Um, <laughs> let's see. Okay, are there any artists or designers that are using 3D printing that you admire? first yeah <laughs> my absolute favorite designer of all time is iris van herpen i think she's a genius the way that she incorporates these complex beautiful 3d printed and like digitally rendered designs onto haute couture fashion is just unbelievable. okay okay um is, can she be considered a pioneer of of leveraging or using 3d printing in her work or like i'm just curious did it all kind of did it was it a phenomenon that just happened at once or was there one pioneer within the fashion realm that like really latched onto it and like started using it? Can she be described as that person or, or no, or, or tell us about that. Like how did that all kind of emerge? So I think I'm, um, I would say definitely, uh, I think she can be singularly credited for um, bringing 3d printed 3d printing into the, the real fashion industry and like, actual high fashion. Um, I believe she was an architecture student and I think like fresh out of school, um, she had done all of these incredible collaborations with these um, high fashion designers. And I, I think she's really given a lot of validity to the idea of using okay. printing um, in a, a high level fashion okay. realm. Awesome. And I would say she was also one of the early adopters of the technology, at least mm -hmm. in fashion for something okay. wearable. Cool, cool. Um, Justin, do you have anybody that kind of sticks to mind or comes to mind as, for, you know, artist or fashion yeah. designer or? I wonder. 
For sure. Yeah. I, I really like, um, there are a couple artists that I really like who 3D, use 3D printing for most of their work. Um, I like Wang and Sodastrom is one of them. And Audrey Large, they do actually pretty similar type of work, uh, more like sculpture. Um, and I, I think the reason that I'm so interested in them is like, kind of what I was mentioning earlier about like mixing and matching software. They're, they're like really taking kind of like animation software and stretching it to be um, like kind of kind of to its limits um, and then bringing that back into a 3D printed part. So I think it's really interesting that they're able to blur the boundary between kind of physical and digital and um, like, is it, is it virtual or is it real? Like there's, it really kind of blends those environments together. So like what you're seeing on your computer is really not yeah. so different than what you might be seeing. That's awesome. So. And are you guys, I mean, are you, um, are you using their, their work and their methodology as probably as a source of inspiration, right? I mean, you see that and you're like, oh, okay, that triggers something and that, and then that puts you on a path, right? Of course, right? That's, that's probably how it works. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, one thing that I wanted to just quickly comment on was I I don't know. I mean, a designer that I'm a fan of, um, that I believe is starting to use 3D printing is Russ Lovegrove. Is that right? Oh yeah. He's a mm-hmm. British industrial designer, um, famous, um, and he I think he's more known for his like interior design and furniture. But what's interesting is he's always had this very, uh, like, organic, morphic kind of aesthetic. And I could always see that he was always fighting conventional means of manufacturing to enact his vision. And now with 3D printing, it's like custom tailored for his aesthetic. And so um, I think I'm following him on Instagram uh, and, and just the stuff he's doing. And he's like ramping it up to like 100x. Like he's just going for it, you know, with that super like, again, really amorphic and fluid and hyper organic um, kind of aesthetic. So, yeah, so I'm definitely noticing that. So it's good to see that, uh, you know, these high profile designers are, you know, are leveraging that. That's awesome. Um, all right. So. You know, you know, you can't have any kind of discussion these days vis-a-vis art, design, creativity, or whatever it might be without interjecting and bringing up AI, right? So, of course, yeah. you know, my question yeah. for you is, and I'm going to just read it here, what are your thoughts about AI? Do you see AI as a positive thing for artists and creative people? What do you guys think? Oof. Yeah, I'm torn. I'm I, strong. I, okay. yeah, I, I, I really, I really want to like AI. I'm like in the tech field. I am around AI stuff all the all the time. Um, inescapable. It's inescapable. Yeah. Um, it's it like I like the idea that it could make design more accessible. Um, like the act of designing more accessible. It's easier to make 3D. It's easier to come up like take an idea in your head and make it a real thing. Um, the the hard part for me is like the tools of like Midjourney, Dolly, ChatGPT. Um, it's almost too yeah. easy to, to make an to, to get something out of your idea and onto paper, and it's really hard to evaluate like if that's a good idea, if it's a great idea, if it's a not so good idea. Everything yeah. just kind of blends together, and there's so much content so fast totally. that it's it's really difficult to I'm like. Like, like maybe it's good for a creative process, but it's really hard to like weed out the the good mm-hmm. ideas from the bad ones, even in your own. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Because now you've artificially um, 
hype, you know, added this like hyper drive capability to that idea generation process, or just this notion of, mm-hmm. you know, adding, you know, assets or, or things to evaluate and critique. And before that was limited vis-a-vis what I could do in Photoshop or a CAD program or whatever, mm-hmm. but now we've accelerated it. We've, you know, amped it up. And now instead of looking at like 20 versions or whatever it might be after a week, it's 200. Mm-hmm. And that like, I, I understand like oh, yeah. now it's like, and it's tough for designers that have a perspective and a discerning eye. But then mm-hmm. like when you're bringing in mm-hmm. a client or whatever, you know, somebody that's maybe not trained, then it's like, you know, talk mm-hmm. about being overwhelmed and then that complicating the conversation. So yeah, no, I agree, man. It's, right. um, and I think like another kind of negative aspect is the ever present threat of like plagiarizing or like accidentally yeah. plagiarizing because a lot of these AIs are trained on other people's work, kind of just like as the, you know, like the inherent process of the AI learning how to do things. So you could be generating an idea that's actually maybe like a copy yeah. of someone else's idea or heavily influenced and you as the person generating the prompt would have no idea Right. IP is a big issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even even if you're typing a prompt, you type it the, the most amazing original prompt. The moment you hit send, it's that's not, not yours anymore. anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's and that's really that's really hard for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have a tough time with that. As a yeah, because, yeah. You're right because now that kind of um, it depersonalizes that whole creative pursuit and the process and even well, I mean there's a there's a component of discovery, right? Because you tweak a prompt prompt a variable and you get something else you're oh I, that's cool i didn't know that you know you know um but i don't know like i really mixed feelings i mean on one hand i'm really positive and optimistic and you know brave new world and all that good stuff but then on the other side you know i could definitely see and it's happening already like a lot of people creative people content creators are getting will get displaced because now we've got these automated tools right. that are just creating this stuff for us. And so right. I don't know, it, it will definitely be interesting, but again, you know, that'll behoove those people to, you know, maybe become experts at generating prompts. I don't know, or, or just being able like, you know, maybe they'll evolve into like these AI wranglers or pilots where like they have a suite of AI tools and they're just now, you know, before it was a team of a hundred. Now it's just a team of one or two and they're able to, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, um, you know what? I think at the end of the day, it'll be a mixed bag. It usually always is right. It's never like super positive and it's never the end of the world. It's always like a mixed bag. And, and, and I think that'll be it's, it's at the end of the day, it's another tool. It's, it's a craft. It will become a craft over time for sure. And same as I know, woodworking, exactly. woodworking still here. Uh, we're talking about 3d printing, but, <laughs> but like, I love carpentry. It's like, it's really fun. I still, there's still really good, good use cases for carpentry out there. Uh, I kind of same with AI. Like I, I do think, I think it's gonna be great for creative for design iterations. Yeah. And creative like, process. Yeah, yeah. Creative process. Yeah. Yeah. Getting ideas out there. Um, I still like personally really like to finish things like on my own and like I'm really into craft like like really finishing the craft of of something like my hands like on my own. AI is not going to replace that, Um, but it will definitely change how we like come up with ideas, how we experiment. Um, 
how we share ideas with one another. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, maybe it'll prompt people to, you know, spend less time in front of the computer or any kind of machine and and go out and do some woodworking or fishing or whatever. I mean, it might motivate us to kind of reconnect with each other, right? And then with with nature and and themselves, even right with you know, you know, That's whipping true. out yeah. a sketchbook yeah. and and drawing something using this versus like telling mid journey, like, you know, beautiful waterfall, blah, 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 or whatever. You know, again, there's going to, it's hyper multifaceted. There's going to be all kinds of positives and negatives and it'll just be, it'll be that mm -hmm. I think, you know, so, but in any case, mm -hmm. it will be interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Last, last question. Um, where do you see yourselves? All right. Where do you see yourselves personally? And then also with your work in 10 years, just as a kind of general comment, your vision for your future. Yeah. So I think um, in 10 years, so we just got married. I think yeah. we'll probably have good. kids in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we will be continuing to um, collaborate together and work together on our joint design studio. Mm -hmm. um, in the past couple of years, we've kind of made a shift towards selling more of our products because mm -hmm. initially we were really just making like these beautiful art pieces and the purpose of the art pieces were just to have them presented and maybe have them exhibited somewhere. Um, but now we've kind of shifted into more of like yeah. product design. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately we would like to have our work shown in um, some more shops and displayed in more little pop-up okay. things. And we're just beginning to get into that. So it's been really exciting. Yeah, there, there's nothing like seeing your work out there in, in people's everyday lives. Uh, like, even if it's just, even if it's just our jewelry yeah. pieces or I don't know, talking about cam or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I really like the idea of, of like, it. our work doesn't have to be like a one one art piece that just well photographed and everything. It could be something that yeah. anyone can have. Um, anyone can yeah. Have it. So that's kind of like where we're going over time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's like, yeah, like let your work touch as many people as possible, right? And that's, you know, I think that's always a good goal to have. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys see yourselves, because right now you're kind of entrenched in, you know, fashion jeweler. Do you see yourselves maybe broadening horizons or exploring other areas or you're pretty much set on that path where you are now? Oh, we want to get into houseware. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really interested in and lighting too. I'm really interested in lighting. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, we have I mean, lots to not? experiment with. Why not, right? Uh, why not? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you <laughs> could just print it, right? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. Come up with another design. But why? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Why limit yourselves? It's interesting because I, when I, when I restarted Artifacture. By the way, Artifacture was like a T-shirt brand. You guys probably don't even know this, but like back. No, I I think I have really? seen like. Years ago, yeah. I, okay. I, like I've definitely I mean, seen we, were, we were kind yeah. of popular, like 2005, 6, 7, 8. Like, you know, we I was doing this with my brother. We had, like, um, Design Will Save the World. I would pay for good design. So mm -hmm. that, our, our kind of niche was, like, cool graphic slogans for graphic designers, and that was kind of our thing. And, like, before we knew it, like, we were, we were in boutiques in, you know, SF and L.A., um, you know, and then, you know, in Spain, France, Germany, everywhere. And then we're selling in, you know, museum shops, SF MoMA, the MCA yeah. in Chicago, MoMA, New York. And, so, cool. and so, anyway, so we did that for a while. And then 
whatever life happened, I got burnt out and I just kind of put a pause to it. I think when we moved here in 2010 to San Francisco and then recently, not recently, but like 2018 ish, I brought back Artifacture and I'm like, 3D printing is this thing now and I'm really in love with it. So let me figure out a way to, you know, do something with that. And so it was jewelry. Um, so I was kind of doing some jewelry stuff very briefly, but that was kind of my entree back into number one, resurrecting the brand and then and then figuring out what to do with 3D printing or how to get into it. And then since then, of course, I've kind of morphed into like tabletop, you know, desktop kind of a thing. It's a thing right now. It's an experiment. Um, but yes, housewares, furniture, lighting, I'm, I'm there with you guys. Like I'm, I'm, I definitely want to be, you know, experimenting in those spaces. So I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I think it's exciting. I think it's, it's an awesome time to, to be a designer that knows how to use Rhino and could, you know, fire up a 3D printer, right? Uh, There's so much potential. True. There is. All right, cool. So we are almost at the hour mark. Um, thank you guys so much for this conversation. Um, I had a blast. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'm going to quickly, yeah, no, awesome. Awesome. I'm going to quickly mention um, Alexis, your website. It's alexiswalsh.com. A-L-E-X-I-S-W-A-L-S-H.com forward slash forward slash shop, which is jaw studio, which is the, uh, the jaw studio brand or the shop. You could check out um, the jewelry, etc. And, um, and again, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate this. And um, we'll be talking soon and have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yep. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. This has been really All right, guys. Take care. See you. Thank you.